Hey, welcome to the Behind the Screen Podcast. I'm Andy Benoit, my good friend, NFL Films' Greg Cosell. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Greg, we are one week out from the Combine, which is kind of the week you and I renew our friendship every year. We're, I'm sure we'll talk about it after the podcast in a few weeks here, but we, you know, we're going to get together a few times, I'm sure, next week. Right now, we're doing it over Riverside, over Zoom, which I enjoy. Glad to be with you. Producer Ben Allen wants us talking free agency today. I have no objections. Do you? No, no. You just got to tell me uh, a lot of the players who are in free agency. I've been very focused on the draft. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, <laughs> might no, be a ton no of college doubt. players every single day. So, <laughs> Well, let's start. And not just I mean, free agency. Let's call it veteran movement market because some of these guys are free agents. Some are going to become free agents. A guy that was kind of in the news most recently uh, it was Jimmy Garoppolo. Two-game suspension. That's you yep. know, set that aside. You know, all those. Let's kind of make it a quarterback discussion. Start with Garoppolo, sure. but it's going to lead to Kirk Cousins naturally, and some of these other free agents. I'll list them off here as we get going. But you know, where do we see? I mean, is is Jimmy Garoppolo one of thirty-two starters in the NFL in the near future? How does how does this quarterback market shake out? Starting there. Well, you never know about the quarterback market simply because, you know, you and I have seen the fact that there's a lot of quarterbacks that end up starting based on team situations. Um, you know, who knew that, you know, Taylor Heineke would end up starting a lot of games this year? Who knew that Garter Minshew would end up being the, the starter for three quarters of the of the Colts games this year and, and almost leading them to the playoffs? So, you, you know, you don't want to shut the door and say never. But my sense is that Jimmy Garoppolo stylistically would not be in high demand as a starter. I'm not saying he'll never set foot in the NFL on a team again, but I don't think he'd be signed as a team starting quarterback. I, my guess is you would probably agree with that. Um, stylistically, you know, he's I, I don't know if he would have the traits that teams would be looking for in today's NFL. Second reaction traits, I assume, is, is part of what makes you a well, big part of what makes you say that, you know, well, see, these are really interesting questions, and, and and they're not necessarily black and white questions. Um, you could argue that stylistically, Jimmy Garoppolo is similar to Tua Tagovailoa. Now, he's not as good, clearly, but and, – and obviously, we know that Mike McDaniel, the head coach of the Dolphins, who, you know, runs the offense that Tua has executed at a pretty high level – uh, was obviously a significant part of the 49ers staff when Jimmy Garoppolo was, you know, playing pretty well and actually led them to a Super Bowl. Um, but I think that what Garoppolo is, it's not just the second reaction. I think Garoppolo is a pure timing and rhythm player. In other words, if he can't hit that back foot and deliver the football, he's not even that strong as a late in the down pocket quarterback. You know, he gets a little itchy with his feet. They move around. He's not comfortable the longer he has to stay in the pocket. It's not just the second reaction part, which he really doesn't have. But even if he has to sort of wait in the pocket and make those late in the down throws, he's not comfortable doing that. Yeah, and I guess when I say second reaction, I kind of view extended plays or later in the right. down plays. And you're completely right. There are two second reactions. There's the in-pocket second reaction, which right. is really – a prolonged first reaction most of the time, and then the running around second reaction, which I think that's what you were speaking to right there. So, all right, luxury backup. I, I wouldn't disagree with that for Jimmy Garoppolo. Does his does what he did his first year as a 49er, because remember, he got traded midseason, 
And he basically took the field without knowing the playbook yet and was able yes. to get just enough communication. Headset was a big deal for that team at that time, communicating to him. I think it's all the way to the 14-second mark, if I'm not mistaken. And, and he went either 5-0, and 6-0, and something like that. He was the talk of the town after those last third of the season there. Does that, and it was so many years ago now, but does that factor in, you think, to a team uh, when they assess him as a potential backup quarterback? Well, then I think you have to get into the variable of, of scheme and, and philosophy of an offense and what he can fit into. I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo fits any offense. Um, so You, you mean any, to, like just any old offense, you mean? Any, yes, any offense yeah. in the league, you know, any philosophy, let's put it that way. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's what you would have to assess if you're looking at Jimmy Garoppolo, that if you had to play him, can you still run your basic offense that your starter would run? Um, or do you have to go to a different part of your playbook just to really maximize what he brings to the table? And, you know, again, that's something that each team would have to decide, but I don't think he's, a, you know, transcendent from a, from a philosophy standpoint and a scheme standpoint. I think he would have to be in a specific kind of offense to be effective uh, and to function at, at a reasonably high level, whatever whatever his level is now. Yeah, it's, you know, it's an interesting discussion always with, with yep. backup quarterbacks philosophically. Do they have to match the style of your starter? And if, the, if your answer to that question is no, really what you're saying then is I, I you're saying I'm comfortable having a backup that relies on his legs and extending plays and breaking it down and, and, and going at it that way, maybe running read option because – you could plug a guy in and maybe play that way. You couldn't do the inverse. So you couldn't take a, a Josh Allen, not to say that he's that core, but you couldn't take the Bills and Josh Allen. He goes down, God forbid, and you plug in Jimmy Garoppolo and start running variations of the Shanahan system midseason. That's not you, – you wouldn't be able to do that. So he, no, would have to, he would have to fit your starter style, and it would have to be in a Shanahan-esque kind of scheme, I would think. I would agree. And it's funny you say that because in conversations with defensive coaches through the years, they what one thing I've been told by pretty much all of them is it's much more difficult if a starting quarterback goes down um, or in a game, let's say. But even if you're playing a backup and that backup uh, and the starter is essentially a structured pocket player, I, you know, I don't want not that he's a statue, but he's essentially a structured pocket player. And then the backup is much more of a movement player. Defensive coaches find that much more difficult. So yeah. I think that plays off your point really, really cleanly. Um, you know, defensive coaches do not want to play against a backup who all of a sudden they have to change a lot of the things they're doing defensively. And I wonder if that's why a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick hung around so long because he could so perfectly toe both lines, really. Yeah. You Run your offense with him. He's smart enough to do that. He'd been in every offense anyway after a while, and yet he could he could just rely on gunslinger for for periods of time if need be. Yeah, it's also interesting to me to play off. You know, just talking about quarterbacks in general and and the idea of movement, which more and more quarterbacks coming into the NFL are going to be better athletes because that's what you know kids are these days, and that's what the colleges are are sending to the NFL. You know, when you hear people say, well, you want to keep a quarterback in the pocket, it's not that they want to keep him in the pocket because he can't throw. You know, you even hear that with Mahomes. Well, we, we want to keep him in the pocket, not because Patrick Mahomes can't throw or Josh Allen can't throw. You know, that's not the reason. 
The reason is, is it allows the defense to play within the structure that they practiced all week. You know, once you get outside the structure of what you've practiced all week, all hell breaks loose a little bit, and it's much, much tougher to play defense. Sure, sure. And that's why I still like looking, I'm kind of looking at this list of, of, of free agent quarterbacks, guys like Jacoby Brissett, Mitchell Trubisky, even Tyrod Taylor at this point in his career, Marcus Mariota, Sam Darnold, uh, who, well, maybe Gardner Minshew to a certain degree, maybe Tyler Huntley, maybe. But there's a lot of guys that are mobile QBs with experience. I would think that's going to be a rich market for backup. All those guys could be a number two quarterback and give you options if you if you had to play them for a week or two. Yeah, and then, and then it comes down to, you know, what, what you want and what kind of guy, you know, you know what, you know this, you know, having been with a team, one thing I hear a lot, and obviously I've not been with a team, so, you know, I'm not, I don't have personal experience with this, but one thing you often hear is the quarterback room and how important that is. And I think somebody like Jacoby Brissett, uh, and I and I actually think Kobe Brissett has pretty decent traits. I mean, you could yeah. start Jacoby Brissett too, if you had to, for 17 games, and, and it wouldn't be a terrible thing. He can play a little bit, but, but, you know, from everything I understand about someone like Jacoby Brissett, he's an unbelievable guy, a great mentor, understands the role, understands the team, you know, all those things. And I think that's really, really important in the quarterback room, because a lot of times, you know, you have you, you have backup quarterbacks, especially if you have a young quarterback, OK, who's learning. And then you have a backup quarterback who's maybe been in the league for a lot of years, and maybe he understands the system better because he's been through multiple systems and he just has a wider foundation of knowledge. You know, sometimes that can be a little a little difficult because the young quarterback who's your starter clearly doesn't know as much and he, and he it takes him longer to learn it just because it's all new to him. Yeah. No, and I know some teams when I one thing I've heard with teams, and it's more of an off season, it's definitely an off season thing, but they will put their young players and veterans in separate rooms initially so that the young players can learn the playbook without the eyes of the veterans on them. Veterans are going to sit there. It's second nature. Then they're going to get bored and young players are going to sense that and feel that. And they're going to, you know, they're not going to raise their hand when it gets to the 45 minute mark of a meeting at that point. Right. right. So yeah. Building the right kind of room, having the right kind of, of backup quarterback in the disposition and the quarterback coach is a big, facilitator in that as well on a lot of teams. I think that is underrated across the NFL. Not why the talent, but it's underrated. Yeah, and, and that's why I mentioned it, because I don't think people think about that, but I think it it really plays into um, you know, how quarterbacks develop. Uh, yeah. you know, because obviously it, when you're, when you're in the meeting rooms, you know, you know, that coaches ask questions, there's, there's sort of tests as to, Hey, what do you do when this happens? What do you do versus this rotation? What do you, I mean, you know how that goes. You know, and, and if, if, if you have a 10 or 12 year veteran quarterback in that room as your backup, he's going to know the answers to that pretty simply. But, you know, the, the rookie or the or the young player who's still learning may not know the answer so fast. It's still new to him. And, and it just can create without it being intentional. It can create yeah. just a little bit of tension. All right. So we did the easy one to a certain degree. Jimmy Garoppolo, respect the player, probably see him as a number two at this point. The guy who's uh, in a similar vein, but a level up from that would be Kirk Cousins. That's ah. the one everyone's talking about. Coming off the Achilles injury, good fit in Minnesota's system. I don't think anyone outside that organization and 
maybe the close friends of some of the people around the, the top of the Vikings staff know what the Vikings truly think of Kirk Cousins. And we're about to find out what's the landscape for him, 36-year-old quarterback. Yeah, I I don't know your view, but I, I think Kirk Cousins is a really good player. Um, and I think Kirk Cousins is incredibly intelligent, plays the game that way. Um, he's obviously a pocket quarterback, but I think because he sees things so clearly and is really good before the snap of the ball and understanding what he's looking at, the ball gets out, the ball gets to the right receiver. Um, I think he throws it a lot better than people think. I remember having a conversation with a coach a couple of years ago at the Combine. We were talking about somebody else, but Kirk Cousins' name came up, and we both agreed that Kirk Cousins has a far better arm than people think. You know, he's not in the gun category. You know, we're not going to sit here and compare him to Matthew Stafford. But, you know, he throws the ball a lot better than I think he's always been given credit for. I think people, you know, he was a fourth-round pick the same year that RG3 was was the first-round pick for Washington. And obviously ended up starting there for a bit and then moving on. And he's played really well in Minnesota, really well. And, you know, his arm has always been better than I think he's been given credit for because people always say, oh, he's got an average arm. His arm's far better than average. Yeah, I know. I would agree with that. And where you see it, for one, he's tough as hell, too. And he was running in the pocket. And and where you see it are some of those throws he makes when he knows he's going to get hit and the toughness and then the ability to deliver and – uh, his ball does not change a lot under pressure. And that's not, it's not impermeable to pressure, but his ball doesn't change a lot under pressure. So I, I don't disagree with anything you just said right there. Yeah. And he's, I'm glad you made that point because I think toughness in the pocket, you know, for, for, for quarterbacks who are essentially pocket quarterbacks, which he would fall into that category, you know, that, that, that is a trait that you have to have because you have to be able to stand and deliver. There's going to be bodies around you. You're going to get hit. You're going to be uncomfortable. And you have to still be willing to function uh, amidst the chaos. I mean, you have to be able to function intelligently amidst chaos. That's essentially what you have to do if you're a pocket quarterback. Because unless you're talking about three-step drops or quick five steps, you know, there's going to be people around you. And, you know, if you can't function in, in that kind of sort of chaotic, nature then you can't really play at a high level in this league and Kirk Cousins has always been able to do that yeah that'll be interesting to see like I I I don't know like the the Raiders cap situation right now I guess we can look that up as we're talking but like you know there are teams that could plug him in and be a different offense they could be a different offense for having him without question Um, yeah and, and you know it's interesting about the Raiders you know I don't know what their plan is I certainly don't know their cap situation um, you know, I don't follow that closely uh, or, or even very much at all, to be honest. Um, but, um, you know, they just hired Rich Garangello as, as a quarterback's coach. You know, yep. he has he has background, uh, the, the Shanahan background. Um, you know, he's been with Kyle. He's been with that group. You know, that's the kind of offense, clearly, that Kirk Cousins could run effectively. Now, I don't know if he'd be the one who's putting together the offense, but the point is, I, they they hired Rich Garangelo for a reason. So, um, you know, that style of offense would fit Kirk Cousins beautifully. In fact, we all know that that Kyle Shanahan always loved Kirk Cousins and would would have wanted him as his quarterback. So we'll see how that plays out. I, as I said, I don't know the cap situation. I don't know what yeah. your thoughts are. No, it's a great point. Luke Getze is the offensive coordinator now, and he has the Packers background, which is some Shanahan overlap there. 
Right. And I, I, I thought Getsy did a better job than people gave credit for. Just watching the film, I don't know how the day to day is on any of these teams really, uh, but I thought pass game design, you know, that's that's a good hire to me. So that, that's one that could make sense. Raiders about thirty five million in cap space. That's always that's tenth most for what it's worth. That's always malleable too, though. Contracts can be adjusted and restructured and. You know, if you want a guy, most times as a team, you're able to find a way to get that guy with the exception of very few teams. So let me, um, let, let me, ask, you this. Let me ask you this since you just brought up Luke Getze, who obviously was in Chicago last year. Um, Justin Fields, I believe, has started 37 or 38 games in the NFL. And I think you and I both agree, you know, particularly where you were in the league, that coaching really matters as far as offensive play design, offensive structure, how you coach players. I mean, I've always believed that, you know, going back to when I was very fortunate to, to know Bill Walsh. So I've always been a believer in coaching, as I know yeah. you are, you know. So the question is, just uh, Justin Fields has started, as I said, 37, 38 games. Do you view that as enough games where you feel like this is what he is? Or do you still believe that, hey, different coach, maybe a different approach, and obviously they've got a different coordinator now, different approach that Justin Fields could become, I don't want to say a different quarterback. He's not all of a sudden going to turn into Tom Brady. But do you think that he could become, you know, a quote-unquote different and better, more consistent player? Or do you feel 37, 38 games, hey, this is who he is. This is what he's going to be regardless of who the coach is. I think with most quarterbacks, it would be the latter there. Like I would feel like 37, 38 games, it's not a final verdict, but 99% of the time it kind of goes the way you, you thought it was going to go after watching those games. I wonder a little bit if Fields is, is in the 1% of that just because the way, you know, his progress to me looked like it went like this kind of Greg, but it was yeah. gradually, it was waffling, but gradually rising while it did. He had a little bit of that after I thought he'd climb some, but I felt like there's been some steady in terms of how he plays the position. I thought there were a lot of throws left on the field where you could tell he's just not, not only is he not seeing it, but he's not really processing it. He doesn't understand the full concept and intent of the play. And I thought that got a lot of, not corrected, but a lot of improvement was shown over the course of the season last year. Again, not ups and downs on the way to improvement. The talent is so immense, too. I think people forget that he is the, you know, he has surpassed Lamar Jackson as the most explosive guy in the league with the ball in his hand at the quarterback position. I so agree we do talk second reaction. You know, you if you want the read option stuff, all of that stuff's on the table right there. And I felt he's learned to kind of, rely less on it. I'm 51-49 on Justin Fields. I would not have a problem. You know, the Bears, they've been with him every day, so they're going to know so much more, and I think that really matters a lot in this case, which which means we can only take our conversation so far because right. when he's improving like this, they know what's behind that and how real some of that is. I wouldn't have a problem whichever way they go with that. Yeah, you know, because obviously there are some – and, and, and I've done my work on Caleb Williams. I, I'm done with Caleb Williams because I did him last summer from 2022, and I've done a ton of them already from his 2023 tape. And um, 
he's obviously a very good prospect, but I know there are many that you and I would respect that see him as the best quarterback prospect in years and years and years. And I'm not sure I would go that far in my mind based on my tape study. Um, you know, as I said, I think he's a very good prospect, but, you know, he's also been sacked a ton. Um, he's fumbled a ton. You know, I think those are two things that would be concerning. Now, Obviously, you have to look at every single sack. You have to look at every time he fumbled. You have to look at each individual play, which if you're thinking about drafting him, I would expect that a team would be doing that. You know, then you have to try to understand why. Yeah, Yeah, you have to try to understand why those things happen. That those things are numbers on a page. And I've always sort of railed against the idea that numbers on a page tell you a story. But it is a high number. So you'd want to understand why by watching the tape. Um, There are some who believe, and uh, you probably have had these conversations through the years, there are some who believe that if a quarterback gets sacked a lot in college, um, and and once you watch the tape, if you feel that he's a significant reason for that, that that's not going to change. Now, again, no knock on Caleb Williams. You know, I've done my work on him. As I said, I think he's a very good prospect. But, you know, I think that I think that he's a guy that requires hard, hard study and hard due diligence. Yeah, no, and that, that makes look. If it's his fault that he's taken the sacks, that will not improve in the NFL. There's no chance right. of that. The pressure right. packages are so more diverse and aggressive and immense in the NFL. The mismatches from pass rushers to blockers can be more dynamic at certain times. Certainly more schemed and, and created. So I, I would not be optimistic there. Now, I remember Jay Culler, did he get, I remember when he came out of Vanderbilt, different style of player, I'm, I'm sure. But it wasn't the book on him like that guy took a ton of hits and was a man about it and fought through and all that. Like right. it, the sacks, the kind of sacks matter a lot. Right. And that's why you've got to look at them. You know, are they and, and, and believe me, I don't have that specific answer. I, I've seen many of them. I haven't seen every single one. Um you know, but, you know, I think that we, we certainly have reached a point in quarterback evaluation for many people, you know, again, everybody's a little different, um, but we've reached a point in quarterback evaluation because of the kinds of quarterbacks that now play in college and that are passed on to the NFL, where we focus, where people focus very much on the ability to make those off script, you know, go above the X's and O's or outside the X's and O's plays. And while no one's going to say that's a negative, I think you have to put those in context. So let's let's say this. Let's say for discussion's sake, the Bears view do you, you and I are are we on the same page about Justin Fields? I didn't get your full. Yeah, I go I I go back and forth on Justin Fields. Yeah. I you know I pro- I probably watched every one of his plays from the last two years, and and he is a, he's high level talent. By the way, I mean. Yeah, you could easily make the argument he's more talented than Caleb Williams. I mean, he's got a big, big arm. Um, now, now maybe his delivery is a little elongated. I think that would bother some. But as you said, he is the most dynamic quarterback in the NFL with the ball in his hands. So he's he's an extremely talented, physical talent. Um, yeah, I, I I I think you can watch tape, and there are times you feel that he doesn't see it as well as you would like. But in order for me to say that with absolute certainty that whether he can or can't, I would need to be involved in the process of how they're teaching, of how he's taking it in, of what they're teaching. You know, you know this working for a team. You have to be 
you have to understand all that before you can make a definitive judgment as to what he's capable of learning, what he's not capable of learning, what kind of offensive structure is best for him. You know, I think there's a lot of variables that we just don't know. Yeah, and I think it's worth noting that, you know, they hired Shane Waldron as a new offensive coordinator. That's right. That's right. What's that, Greg? I didn't catch that. I had forgotten that's who they hired. I'm glad you mentioned it. Yeah. Yeah, no, in my opinion, I think he's been as good as almost any coordinator in the league the last few years in terms of play design, the way his guys have executed. You know, he came from the Rams and the McVay tree and all that stuff. You know, I think that's an excellent hire for them. And and I have to assume I have not been coached by Shane Waldron. I've been around him a good amount, but you know I'm not been in Justin Fields' seat. I would bet a considerable amount on that Shane Waldron is an excellent teacher, excellent up at the at the the whiteboard. And right. I think that's a huge deal with a guy like Justin Fields. It's not just what you're designing, but you know think of how you felt as a student when you were in school, when you had your best teacher and your best subject and your worst teacher and your worst subject, and just how you felt about yourself and how you approached your studies there, you know, I, I think it's that different and that dynamic in the NFL. Yeah. It's a big deal how, for the quarterback, especially. I agree. And, you know, think back to two years ago. I mean, when they didn't have Jackson Smith and the Jigba in Seattle, which is where Shane Waldron came from, you know, how much they did with multiple tight ends, how much they got um, Geno Smith out of the pocket on boot, which really helped define reads. You know, those are the kinds of things that could really help Justin Fields become a more efficient player overall. Look, two years ago, no one thought Geno Smith could do what he did. I mean, he completed 68, 69% of his passes. For much of the season, he was over 70%. And they were not sacrificing big plays. I believe he threw 30 touchdowns that year. So if you look at that, and again, I'm not saying that this is what they should or shouldn't do. We're just talking ball right now, you know. But I mean, that style you know, really helps a quarterback, multiple tight ends in terms of personnel. You know what you're going to get from the defense far more than when they're in their their sub-defenses. You know, you can do more things as far as, you know, boot action, things like that, which really do help a quarterback uh, define things for him. So, you know, again, maybe the decision's been made and they're taking Caleb Williams. Not You and I don't know that. Yeah. But I'm just saying, you know, as far as helping Justin Fields, if he were to be your quarterback, I think that would help. You know, one thing I think just for our, our listeners, I want to ask you something, a philosophical question here in a second or have a discussion about it. But the reason, just so everyone understands why we're saying this, the reason boot action helps a quarterback, those are not timing and rhythm plays for one. And so it almost naturally blends the design of a play with that second reaction nature. You get the quarterback right. on the move. He's seeing things a little more instinctively like he did growing up, if you will. And, and that's that's a big part of it. The other part is he's reading half the field when he does this, almost always. You're not right, throwing right, back right. across. So everything's simplified in, in that sense. And that's is there something I'm forgetting there? Or that's that's kind of the no, boot no. in and a nutshell. Say that because what, what was one big knock on Geno Smith throughout his career until two years ago was that Geno didn't see things that clearly, you know, that, that that was one of his issues, you know, and it was a major issue in the minds of many. And then all of a sudden under Shane Waldron in 2022, you know, he completes, as I said, almost 70%, 30 touchdowns. I think only nine, 10, 11 interceptions. It wasn't a big number. Um, and, and he was a, an efficient player. And no one would have thought that Geno Smith, based on their view of him prior to that, no one would have thought that he was an efficient player. 
Yeah, I think that's really well said. By the way, I had a coach ask me once a few years ago, he said, how much are you guys practicing your boots? It was the Rams years. And I, I, I gave him whatever the answer was. And he said, I'm asking just because, and this guy was from another big time bootlegging team. And right. he said, I'm just curious because we almost never practice them. We don't practice it. They're just so, they're, they're just kind of, they're just plays. Like you don't, right. you don't want to spend the time on them. You don't need to spend the time on them. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Cause like you said, they're not really, I mean, the way they're put, I mean, obviously there is a structure to every play, but it's not as precisely structured as some other things. Correct. Yeah. And it can't be because they're so dependent on crossing routes and you don't know how right. the crossing route's going to play out. Cause are you going underneath the defender or behind a defender? How do you teach that? Because everything's moving. Those are slow developing routes. And also, so, it also depends on that first. You know, some teams have it that, hey, if the flat's wide open, you're just throwing it. I mean, you're just throwing it, you know. Yeah. Especially if it's, a, if it's a normal down and distance call. If that flat is wide open, you're just throwing it because you could gain 8, 10 yards, no problem. There were times this year I thought Detroit maybe coached it that way, watching them a few times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, I don't know how it's specifically coached, but it's you know, it's it, it certainly helps a quarterback. It certainly helps with efficiency. Um, if, if it's executed well, it it certainly helps you stay on schedule as an offense. So, well, we'll yeah. see. I mean, you know, as I said, there are many people that I've spoken to. A number, not many, a few that I respect greatly who just think Caleb Williams is the the best thing they've seen in years and years and years. We have no idea how Ryan Pauls feels. So let's say this. Let's say the Bears feel as Ryan Poles, Matt Eberflus, whoever's making the, these decisions in Chicago. Let's say they feel in agreement with kind of what we've said, where they've seen fields. And, you know, we see ups and downs. We, you know, we go back and forth. And let's let's say that they don't love whoever they want at the number one in the draft. They they very good, but we're not head over. It's not Andrew Luck in our minds. Right. Right. Should, and I'm not saying what's the decision from there, although we could discuss that. The question I would have then, should the finances of the quarterback position factor in at that point? Where Fields is at a stage of his career now where he's approaching a second contract. You can't get him on that rookie deal we hear all the time. Oh, cheap rookie contract, build around the quarterback that way, build him up with all these, you know, the Jalen Hurts Philadelphia thing or Russell Wilson in the Seahawks years ago. Should that factor into the equation with a decision that really everybody's jobs in the whole franchise is on the line if this goes well or not at the quarterback spot? Well, that's why it's probably a franchise, I don't want to say altering, but yes, decision. Because if you decide that Fields is, is your quarterback and you're not going to take a, you know, Caleb Williams, then Fields is reaching the point where you'd have to pay him. Now, again, maybe you're not paying him, you know, Lamar Jackson money or whatever that number is. I don't follow that stuff particularly closely. But at some point, sooner than later, you would have to pay him. And, and, and make, by the way, you ahead. better hope you have to pay him Lamar Jackson money because that's – Right, you, right. Yeah, that's – you're not giving a discount at that position. If he has one great no, season, right. he's getting Lamar Jackson money. So you, right. you well, better well, hope that you have to pay him. Jalen Hurts. I mean, Jalen yeah. Hurts led them to the Super Bowl, had one good season – you know, arguably a great season, and they paid him big, big money. And obviously this year that the season was not quite what they hoped as a team or individually for Jalen Hurts. So, you know, then they have it. So that's why it's kind of franchise altering, because if they keep fields and let and, and 
playing well is a relative term, you know, that, that could mean any number of things, but they'll know in the building how he's doing, you know, better than you and I would know outside the building. Um, if they pay him, um, then he's their quarterback. They're not paying him to get rid of him in a year. Yeah. No, it's a fascinating dilemma. I mean, it's a fat, and I would love to know if they have the decision made. I, I don't, I bet they don't would be my guess. And I'd love to know when the decision is made. I will never know that, you know, whatever they say publicly. No, and they're not going to tell you. Yeah. They're not going to announce it. I'm always fascinated too by, and, and this happens every time this year with the draft. As we and, and you and I'll start talking more draft, you know, in in coming weeks as well. But I'm always fascinated by the belief, the seeming belief that all these guys who were you know talked about as top fifteen, top twenty picks, as if everybody assumes they're all going to be great pros. You and I both know that doesn't happen. So you know, and again, no knock on Caleb Williams. I, believe me, our league is better when there's great quarterbacks. So I hope that all these quarterbacks that are being talked about as, you know, high picks, Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels, whoever else, whether it's uh, Michael Penix or Bo Nix, whoever, that they all become really good players because it just makes the league better. But there's no guarantee. You know, it it doesn't work that way. There's been a lot of high draft pick quarterbacks who don't make it. And, and, you know, everybody's just assuming that if the uh, the Bears draft Caleb Williams, that they're all set. They've got their quarterback. This guy's a Hall of Famer. You know, we saw that last year. I mean, I, you know, Bryce Young, Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud put that conversation to rest right there. We saw, we just saw it. We're in, the, we're, a, we're in the middle of it right now. Well, and the other thing, too, is, and again, this, I don't want this to come across as a knock on quarterbacks because it's not about the player. It's about the way people perceive this. What happened three years ago? Trevor Lawrence was generational. That was the term that was used. He was generational. Not his fault that people talked about him that way. That's the term that was used. Okay? Yep. Now, now Trevor Lawrence is a good player. You know, I think we, you and I would both agree that Trevor Lawrence is a good player. The likelihood is he'll continue to improve. Whether he's ever unbelievably special, we have no idea about that. We have no idea at this point after three years in his career. A good player. But, you know, they throw around generational because that's being thrown around with Caleb Williams as well. But we don't, you know, you don't know that till a guy plays in the league. Yeah, no, everything gets exaggerated. And I mean, language gets diminished every single day as social media gains more and more power. Everything gets exaggerated. And they say generational because they want, you know, they want that to stand out. You can't just say it's a really good player. So that's, and by the way, one thing that they have in common, I wonder how much it factors into the narrative is if I recall, and you know I don't follow the college world closely at all, Greg, but I recall it was basically decided by people on the outside that this guy is going to be the number one pick when he enters the draft. And that was before he finished his co- – he went into his final season in college already anointed the year before as the future number one pick. I feel like Caleb Williams kind of got some of that treatment as well. Without question. Without question, that's what happened for sure. He won the Heisman after the 2022 season, and it was just a given that he'd be the number one pick. And you know what? It could well play out that way. And like I said, if it does, I hope he's great because that makes the league better. Um, But, you know, you have to be careful, I think, about just assuming that every guy who's, whether it's a quarterback, whether it's any position that people are talking about now, because everybody's now focused on mock drafts and on, you know, rankings of, of college players, everybody's focused on, you know, these guys, and they're all going to be great. And, you know, it doesn't work out that way. 
No, I think, and you said there are no guarantees. I think the closest thing we would have to a guarantee is at least 20% of these first rounders and probably much closer to 40, maybe even 50% are not going to be much of anything. They might play for four or five years. Some of them won't even last that long. First rounders. You, right, you know, right. that's, yeah, that's the history is all but guaranteed that I'm with you on that. Okay. So let's, let's kind of wrap it up in this way. This will be good for me because I'm, you know, I'm starting to just wade into these waters and I'm, I know you've been swimming in them for a while. If who, who do you have a number one quarterback on your board, so to speak right now? You know, I'm not a good list guy. I mean, I think Caleb Williams has a, uh, is a really good prospect. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, I think that you, you you watch his tape and you see you clearly see special plays. Um, you know, he's clearly a playmaker and people focus on that. I would say that when you watch his tape, um, a couple of things do stand out. I think he can control the football really well. And I think that's really important. So he can he can control the ball really well when he throws it. Um, but I would say his greatest strength right now is and it's the reason why some compare him to Mahomes, rightly or wrongly, um, is that he's got outstanding spatial awareness. He can calmly, he can effectively navigate the chaos I spoke about a little while ago, you know, and, and he can function really well, uh, you know, athletically, intelligently at game speed. He's really good at that. That's his game. Um, what you did not see much of at USC this particular season, which is kind of surprising given that Lincoln Riley was, is the head coach was you didn't really see him throw consistently on time, you know, where he hit the back football came out. Now you can argue that he's capable of that. He's certainly physically capable of that, but you know, you didn't see a lot of that and that's the way it's going to be coached in the league. I don't know Caleb Williams. I hear he's a really smart kid, but you know, that's just something you didn't see a lot of on tape. So, you know, we'll see when he gets to the league and, and Shane Waldron puts in the offense and, you know, we go from there. Um, so, yeah, I think he's a really good prospect. I think, you know, I think Jaden Daniels from LSU is another guy that's a fascinating. Now he is speaking of being dynamic with the ball in his hands. Jaden Daniels is absolutely one of those guys. Um, and he improved dramatically over the last couple of years as a passer. And I think that's really, you know, what you're kind of looking at with him. Um, you know, he's he's relatively refined. His mechanics are strong. Um, there's some sense of progression reading with him. Um, I like Jaden Daniels. You know, again, I, Andy, you know, I don't make lists. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say, well, this guy's one, this guy's two, this guy's three. Um, so, but but I think Daniels is a fascinating guy. And we'll get into more of this. I don't want to go through a whole list of quarterbacks right now. I want to leave some for, you know, let people think, hey, we're going to talk more about this. But, uh, but you know, a lot's going to depend on the value people now place on athleticism and off-script plays. That's going to become a big deal for coaches. Okay. Is, is there one quarterback in this draft that doesn't, that won't ring true with that at all. Like where everyone's going to see him purely as a pocket guy as he transitions to the NFL. Um, of the main guys, let's see, because the main guys are Williams, Drake, May, Daniels, Nix, Penix. Michael Penix would be that guy. Okay. Michael Penix is essentially a pocket quarterback. Okay. He'd be that guy, and and there'll be questions with him 
as to how he can function in our money pocket. There'll be absolute questions about that with him. He throws a beautiful ball. He may be the best deep to intermediate deep thrower in this entire class. Um, he's got a little bit of a funky delivery, but that's just the way he throws. But he's he's essentially a pocket player. Yeah, gotcha. Well, Greg, I look forward to discussing more of these with you on and off the air here, quarterback time of year, draft time of year, combine time of year for us. So uh, with, with that, let's leave it at that. You and I can talk next week, and then we'll be back here on uh, the Behind the Screen podcast. Appreciate, appreciate everybody listening. My friend Greg Cosell, I'm Andy Benoit. Hit that subscribe button, and we'll see you next time. 